Ade asks that I give a shout out to Seattle's own Black Lives Matter chapter. Black Lives Matter Seattle King County is a group of black people and other people of color focused on dismantling anti-black systems and policies of oppression. Learn more at blacklivesseattle.org. The first time I ever masturbated was to Taylor Dane's Tell It to My Heart. <laughs> Masculine tops. Power bottoms. Butch girls. Femme boys. Bears. Otters. Unicorns. There is no shortage of labels that queer people use to describe different sexual identities and preferences. But how do we navigate that horny, thorny path between realizing we're queer and deciding which boxes to check when filling out our dating profiles? Fruit Bowl explores the unique ways we develop our sexual identities by sharing the sometimes messy, always fascinating, real-life sex histories of queer people. Our first introduction to sex. The embarrassing moments we'd like to forget. And the reliable bedroom moves that we've discovered along the way. Basically, all the stuff we wish we'd known when we first came out. Interviews are edited for clarity and brevity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Thanks for listening. Let's begin. Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. I'm your host and the creator of Fruit Bowl, Dave Quanick. As you may have guessed by now, I'm a queer sex enthusiast. Not only do I love having sex, I love providing a platform for people to talk about it. Just because I think so much of the time, the larger media environment doesn't really give queer people an opportunity to have honest and direct conversations about sex. But I wasn't always this sex positive. Looking back, I realize now that I used to use sex as a diversion from extreme depression that I would suffer from, especially in my early to mid-twenties. It wasn't until after I went to undergrad that I started to see a pattern form. Each time I would come back to school after visiting my family, I would go through these episodes of acting out by engaging in risky sexual encounters. This continued even after I came out to my family. And it wasn't until after I started seeing a therapist my senior year of undergrad that I started to really recognize this pattern of behavior. And I really credit her with helping me to identify some past abuse that I was definitely subconsciously trying to avoid. And acknowledging that past abuse head on really helped me move past it. And for the next four years while living in New York City, I was pretty healthy and didn't really engage in the risky behavior anymore. And I started to have more meaningful sexual encounters rather than trying to constantly fuck the pain away. A few years later, I would relapse in a really epic way. I moved to Los Angeles in my mid-20s to attend film school. And to say that film school was stressful is a major understatement. And soon I was once again back to my old habits of using sex as a distraction for just a very overwhelming life. One night, I decided to use meth for the first and last time and proceeded to have unprotected sex with a complete stranger. This was years before prep. 
After that night, I really considered that to be my rock bottom. And once again, therapy really helped me pull my head out of my ass and start to really acknowledge the amount of stress that I was under and gave me an outlet for somebody to talk to. I just knew that I needed to address what was going on with me. Otherwise, I would just be throwing away everything that I had worked so hard to achieve up to that point in my life. And before you think that this is a long-form promotion for some therapy advertiser, I just want to say that I understand that therapy is not for everyone. It just happened to help me immensely, and I credit it for helping me through some of the hardest times in my life. Because at that time, I really hadn't formed deep enough friendships with people to really lean on them as a sort of support network. So therapy really provided me that outlet. My guest today describes a similar episode in their life of using sex as a way to distract from an unimaginable loss. And I'll let Ade tell you about what it was exactly that provoked this uh, extreme kind of sexual acting out. I'm really deeply inspired by Ade because they really were able to just change their behavior. And one thing that they did was move to Seattle to get a fresh start, which is definitely something that a lot of people do and it, it works for them. And for Ade, it was really willpower and friends who helped them move past the pain. And remember that sex is something that is pleasurable instead of just a means of distraction. And just a heads up, this episode was recorded at the end of January, so it won't reference any current events. So without further ado, here's Ade. My name is Ade. I'm 41 years old. I graduated high school in 1997. I grew up in Denver, Colorado, in Capitol Hill in Denver, which was a very predominantly queer artist neighborhood, sort of like Capitol Hill here. Um, and then I spent the latter part of my childhood into my teens uh, in the suburbs. So that was more conservative. So I kind of got both. But I spent a lot of time down in Capitol Hill in my teens as well, just on my own, doing my own thing. It's much like here where it's changed. You know, it used to be much more queer and, and artist-friendly, and now it's it's pretty much like a parallel to Seattle, what's happening there. Um, I think it's kind of happening everywhere. I would say I'm a non-binary alien. <laughs> Because I really, I, I think this is something that a lot of, a lot of times people have wondered about me, um, especially the public and being, you know, on stage and stuff. And people have often wondered, like, where, how do I identify? Who, who are you? What's your sexuality? What's your gender? What are you? What's your pronouns? What's this? And for me, I'm kind of like, I don't really. I guess I don't really think that way as much, and I, I think of myself as almost a genderless being, but not a non-sexual being, you know? Um, and so when I say like a non-binary alien, it's sort of like just a general weirdo, you know? <laughs> like, I don't know. That's the short answer. I'm just a general weirdo. 
But definitely, a general queerdo is more, is better. I like that better. So I have six sisters and a brother, um, but they're all half. So like my mother had three girls from a couple different guys. And then my father had three girls from his various different relationships. And then there was my brother and myself. And we're, we're both our mother's children, but my father adopted my brother when he and my mother got together. So my family structure was very sort of weird and disjointed and kind of crazy and chaotic because it'd be like I'm bouncing back and forth between my mother and father a lot and there were a lot of other kids involved <laughs> so I have a sister who is the exact same age as me except she was born two days earlier than I was but we have different mothers because my father you know liked to get down so <laughs> he had different women so a very kind of bizarre family structure my parents split up when I was about four or five years old, and they, they kind of would get back together and then split up. Kind of bounced back and forth. I ended up more with my mother um, and stepfather and three half-sisters, so it was pretty split up. And my brother would run away a lot. Um, it was a very tumultuous sort of... The whole thing was very <laughs> fucked up, if you, if you want to put it that way. Um, so my brother and I, who are very close and always have been, ended up split up a lot. I have one cousin who is younger than me, who is an out lesbian. But um, yeah, I really didn't know, and I still don't know, if there were any real queer people in my family. And as far as friends growing up, not really until high school. Like when I came out and decided that I just didn't give a fuck anymore. That's when I sort of found my, my network of, of queer friends. And that I luckily that was at a pretty young age. I was like 14, so I did have a support system of other like-minded queer kids. And I was also in the arts. I was in theater and dance and stuff, you know? So I was able to find that niche. How I first learned about the idea of sex was walking in on my my mother and father fucking on the washing machine when I was like five years old. So uh, we lived in this house when I was a kid and I remember going downstairs to the basement where the washing machine and dryer were and and walking in on them, banging on my like literally my dad's banging my mom on top of the dryer and I'm just like and they saw me and then my dad got really mad and yelled at me to go upstairs and I didn't really know at that time what I had seen but something in me so that stirred something in me I was like hmm that was interesting what was happening there so that was sort of my first introduction to sex and as a kid you know with my little neighborhood friends we would 
as kids do, fool around. And you know, you'd see movies and see things um, on TV and see like people having sex in movies that you weren't supposed to watch as a kid. And Purple Rain was one. It wasn't like explicit or anything, but you know, you see like Prince and Apollonia doing their thing, you know, and as a kid, like my father would not let me watch Purple Rain, but I had a babysitter that I would go to her house and she had two teenage daughters and they would watch Purple Rain. So I would watch it with them. And so, you know, that's kind of how I learned about sex was through like watching things that I shouldn't with with like my uncles or my cousins when my parents weren't paying attention, you know. And then fooling around with kids in the neighborhood. Always get caught fooling around with some little boy from down the street or like my parents' friends kid that came over or something and in a closet somewhere like we didn't know what was going on we're just like pants down in the closet together like looking at each other like pretty much and touching each other like sort of fondling each other but it's like before you even know what masturbation is or anything so it was just kind of let me see what's going on with you down there and let's let's compare notes and pretend we're we're grown-ups you know like you show me yours I'll show you mine sort of scenario and it really is a thing that was a big part of my childhood that was before adolescence that was that was when I was like eight to twelve you know and and it's just sort of like you're just curiosity you know fooling around in that or experimenting trying to figure out what any of that means not really thinking of it as anything but knowing that it's something you probably shouldn't get caught doing (laughs) so towing that fine line I guess my mother had this friend named Nancy she had two daughters you know we used to have slumber parties all the time and so there was one night where I was sleeping over at their house and we were just, we were fooling around, you know, and in walks Nancy. That's <laughs> never allowed to sleep over again. Funny thing is, so this is the fucked up thing. My stepfather was like practically high fiving me on that one. Cut to about two months later, there's this little boy named Ian that lives downstairs from the apartment that we lived in at the time. He and I got caught in, like, a maintenance closet because the little fucker ratted us out. His mom was looking for him, and he's like, Mom, I'm in here! And I'm like, you know, pants down in the closet. Come on. Like, this is your idea, dumbass. Now I'm going to have to take the fall. But, um, so that one, I got the crap beat out of me by my dad and my stepdad. And that was, that was an interesting sort of fucked up, very telling thing about their stance on sexuality. That was sort of a a turning point for me. I think prior to that, I didn't really understand the ramifications of like what sexuality meant. And and, like, I knew that it wasn't okay in my father's eyes to be gay. Like we would see gay guys walking around the neighborhood and he'd be like, you don't want to be like those queers sort of thing, you know? And, And I would always think, well, they look nice. They look happy. And that was never really a sentiment for my mother. Like, she wasn't really ever... My mother was a dancer, and you know, and, and she was around queer people 
a lot, so I think it didn't really matter to her so much. But I did sort of change my behavior after that. Um, the next time I saw Ian, he <laughs> tried to get me to fool around again, and I was like, you stay the fuck away from me. Like, I got the wrath of hell because of you. Like, don't ever come near me again. I think I just sort of withdrew in that I didn't really explore that for a long time after that because I, I didn't want the fallout from it. I guess I started exploring sexuality again in my teens. first time I ever masturbated to completion was somewhere between 8 and 10. And it was to Taylor Dane's Tell It To My Heart. <laughs> That's what was on the radio. And I loved me some Taylor Dane, and I don't know, for some reason I just got titillated that day and started humping a pillow and, like kept going and I was like wow until to my heart was playing so every time I hear that song that is all I think about <laughs> like the first time I ever actually masturbated to full orgasm I mean I didn't know what was going on I just whatever felt good you know and Taylor Dane helped me along thank you Taylor Dane <laughs> My best friend in middle school going into high school was lived across the street from me, and her name was Ayana. Ayana's cousin, his name was Quentin, and he's just this big, giant guy. He was a couple years older than us. He was like 16, 17. And he and I became friends, and so he would, like when, when the parents were away, he would like put on porn. Ayana would always be like, wait, oh, just be horrified. And he and I would sit there watching porn together, and then we would start masturbating together. And then it graduated from there to oral sex, and it never went really further than that. That was really my first real sexual relationship, and I have to say, it was a really good first sexual relationship. Like, I didn't feel ashamed, and I didn't feel like he felt ashamed, and it was kind of liberating in a way, and it, it put the idea of sex in a different perspective where it didn't feel like I should be ashamed of it or not do it because it's bad. I just felt like, you know, I, I have, we have fun doing this, you know? It feels good, and we're enjoying it, so whatever. There was a period of time where I left for a couple years and I lived with my dad so we would have phone sex. And then we would get together when I would visit my mother on the weekends. And it never seemed really taboo. Like, it's not like we talked about it in front of people, but... And it wasn't like we had in-depth adult conversations about sex or anything. We would just be like, oh yeah, let's try this sort of thing, you know? or that was fun or you know whatever it was it was never really like a discussion about sex with us that started when i was a freshman in high school and i think 
We stopped fooling around when I was a junior in high school. Yeah, he graduated and um, he moved away. That's right, he moved in with his dad. And we he still would come pick me up and we would go fool around at his dad's house. So that went on actually probably till I was a senior in high school. I did go out with a couple guys, but nothing ever became sexual. Now that I think back on it, it was kind of like a relationship, <laughs> you know? I didn't go into full-on slutty mode until after that period. Weird thing is, I never really had a crush on Quentin. We just ended up doing it all the time. <laughs> like, I mean, I think we had an affection for each other, but I don't know that it was a romantic thing. It was more just like a sexual exploration slash friendship thing. My first crush was Yul Brynner in The King and I. I still have a crush on him. Just always thought he was so foxy. First crush that I knew. Uh, oh. This guy in my freshman year of high school, his name was Dale. He looked like a fucking great god. He was like, he was a senior. He was actually a second year senior. <laughs> or maybe even a third year, I don't know. Um, he was a little more developed than most of the other students. And he was so tall and so gorgeous, and he played the cello, and we were in orchestra together. We were also in choir together, and I just thought he was just the most beautiful man I'd ever seen. And I remember one time I asked him if he would go Christmas caroling with me. <laughs> he agreed, but it never actually happened. Um, I don't, for whatever reason, it just didn't, we didn't actually end up going. Part of how I learned about sex um, in my early teens was by going to the bookstore and going to the gay section and, you know, of course it's that classic story of like sneaking the book and like reading the book about sex. And it was more like porn fiction. And there was like a story about cruising in the bathrooms and so I was like, I'm gonna see if I can Like, I was trying to, I don't even know what I was trying to do. I actually didn't even know if anything was gonna happen and I went to downtown on the 16th Street Mall, the Tabor Center. And it's like this little mall, there's a food court upstairs. I was eating my lunch in the food court and there was a guy who was watching me and he said hi to me and I just kind of didn't think anything of it because what do I know? You know, I didn't, I, I read about cruising, I didn't understand what it actually entailed. Um, <laughs> I just knew I was going to try it. <laughs> and uh, he came up to me and he said hello and started talking to me and so we went into the bathroom at the taper center and he pulled out his dick and i was kind of like well i guess this is this is the thing and so we ended up going back to his place and we ended up doing that doing the deed and i was just like well that happened that hurt Well, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I guess I got what I wanted, right? <laughs> like, so, I mean, it wasn't a particularly romantic or salacious, sexy story. It was just sort of like, oh, I got what I thought I wanted, and that was the end of that.
I didn't really know what I was doing. As far as sexual prowess, I wouldn't say that he was amazing, you know, if I thought about it now. But as far as whether or not he was experienced, I couldn't say. I know I was inexperienced. He was just trying to get his rocks off with a young little thing. I would probably classify him as a sexual predator in a way, you know, a chicken hawk so to speak, um, but I was a willing participant, so it's not like I was raped or anything. Like, I went in with the intention of this being the ultimate goal, and it just wasn't as fun as I thought it was going to be. And it wasn't as fun as I found out it could be, because I just was with, with the wrong partner. And it wasn't really anything like quiet bread, <laughs> like all the juicy tidbits, you know, like, it, there wasn't all the fun, like, making out. It was more just like a random hookup of a guy who wants to get his rocks off and you know he could have been masturbating. There was no no real thrill about it. And, like the thrill of what I read was not the thrill of what actually happened. I didn't try intercourse again for a while because I was like, oh that's just painful. I you know and I, I think Quentin wanted to try it but it just we we kept it to more of an oral mutual masturbation sort of thing. But, I mean, once I met someone else who, like, that energy was there, I was like, all right, let's do this, you know? So I guess I just didn't, I didn't seek it out after that anymore, I, but I wasn't opposed to it. It was like, you know, there's got to be a redo. <laughs> like, you've got to be able to, this has, somebody says this is really good, so I'm going to find out someday how it's really good. But yeah, I didn't really seek it out as as much for a while, for a long time. I told Quentin about it. He was like, well, what was it like? <laughs> it was, and at the time, I didn't really think of it in, in the terms of predatory behavior. Like, I didn't, the, the conversation was different then, and I didn't really, I wasn't traumatized by it, you know? So it wasn't something that I, felt I needed to mention to anyone. Because it wasn't an experience that was like, oh, I gotta tell my friends about this, I got laid, and blah, 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 you know? It was it was just sort of like a thing. If you got laid in a, in a bathroom with a guy, it's not something you're gonna go shouting from the rooftops necessarily. <laughs> Unless it's really hot and you have to tell your friends about it, but otherwise it's just like, oh, well, that happened. When I was 19, my mother and stepfather and three sisters all disappeared. They joined a cult and disappeared. There's been FBI investigations into it. Um, they were last seen in, in Rafina, Greece. It's been a weird sort of thing for my whole family, and especially for my brother and I. You know, I was in college, I was just on my own for the first time, and um, dealing with this sort of very bizarre loss. It was a different sort of grief than being able to deal with a death. It's because you don't know where they are, you don't know if you'll ever see them again, you don't know. And it was also highly publicized in the press at the time. It's like you see names of your mother and stepfather in the paper, and it's like, fuck, I don't know what, how to even deal with this. So I just kind of went into... I'm gonna just go crazy, you know. <laughs> and um, luckily, I didn't. I didn't go crazy with drugs, you know. I I did drink a lot, and then I I also 
became very sexually active in, I think, not a really healthy way. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I was exploring and experimenting. It was more like, I'm gonna fuck him and him and I don't fucking care, whatever, you know, sort of thing. So at the time, I ended up getting a job at a bathhouse in, in Denver, and that just became, like, the perfect place for me to to foster that. I didn't work there for very long, thankfully, but uh, there was just a period where it was just a very unhealthy entree into the sexual world. I wasn't thinking that much about safety or about um, psychological health. It became more about like how many guys can I fuck, whatever, anything to take my mind off of the issues that I wasn't dealing with. It was a very, very intense time. Honestly, I think what ended it is I just got tired. I think my friends, like my very close friends, really helped me to sort of pull myself back up. I was over it. It just seemed meaningless, and it was like, there's got to be more to life than this. And it just, it took me sort of saying to myself, you're kind of hitting rock bottom, and you need to pull your head out of your ass and get on with your life. And so that's about the time I moved here. I needed a new start, and I needed to get out of where I was and let go of all the shit that happened back home and move on and also to allow myself to properly grieve and and move past the grief and not just sort of push it away with sex and booze you know like that was great because it was like you know I can leave that all behind and start new and just you know go to this new place and figure out what the fuck I'm doing <laughs> you know and I think that's like when I came here is when I actually started to explore my sexuality and enjoy it and do it in a way that wasn't sort of like a coping or numbing mechanism. It was more like, here I am in this new city and I can have all these new options and possibilities, not just sexually, but just, you know, moving here sort of renewed my sense of wonder and possibility. The idea that sex can be fun and it doesn't have to be just about like some guy getting his rocks off on you and, and using you to, you know, and you using him and feeling just like shit, you know? <laughs> like, making that move did make me sort of think of, it gave me a different perspective on a lot of things and sex being one of those things. When did I first think I was in love, or when did I actually fall in love? I look at it now, in hindsight, as like, oh wow, I was possibly infatuated, but now I look back and I'm like, mm -mm, what the fuck was I thinking? And then there's also, you know, those people where you're like, yeah, that was actually the first time I really fell in love. And I would say that's with my ex-boyfriend. I'd say that's the first time I really fell in love, was with him. We met on Tinder, and it was a very sort of almost rom-com style Tinder meeting. We went out that night for a drink and had a really great time and ended up hanging out. And at the end of the night, we parted ways and he said, can I kiss you? And then he hopped in his cab and went on his way. And I went all giddy and told my friends about it at the bar. And then, you know, he ended up coming to a show I was doing on Valentine's Day. and. I think that was our second date. You know, we just ended up 
progressing and hanging out more and more and ended up together. We were a beautiful couple and we were totally happy and in love. We were together for two years and then things changed. I think what made it different for me was that it was the first time I looked at someone and thought I could have a, I could see a future with you, you know? And I think in a lot of my former relationships, it was either all about sex or not compatible in that way at all. And it was either or, and there was no real thought of, of the future. It was more like, okay, what's happening now? And I, I, I started to look at this person as someone that I would want to spend time with for a long time, you know? So I think that's what the, that was the kicker for me. I tend to be a very oral person, so I think that I like to spend a lot of attention on those aspects of sex. Like making out. And really making out. Like really getting into it to where it's like, it almost feels like sex, you know, where it, it is part of the sexual experience and it's not just like kissing, but it's like that real connection. You know there's no going back from this makeout session sort of thing. I would say that's my best, that's my best move, my best tactic. I don't know if it's so much about technique, I think it's more of a presence of mind and being connected and really being able to convey that through the energy and passion that you present to somebody. Like, you can tell when you're making out with somebody when it's just not there. And you can tell when you're like full on into it. And I think I'm very good at conveying that. And I'd like to think that I'm good at making someone feel desired. And I'd also like to think I'm really good at giving head. But I guess that's another thing you'd have to take a survey on. <laughs> I haven't had any complaints, so that's a good start. I think a lot of the disappointments are that sex has not led to much more a lot of times. And I think there's so much emphasis on it, and I think sex is a great thing, but I think that there can be quite a bit of emptiness involved in an over-sexualized world. Being a non-binary, somewhat femme-presenting person, you know, I get fetishized a lot. And so I think one of the challenges that I've faced is, is actually finding a connection with someone and not just having it be about someone's sexual fetish for me or someone, whatever their thing is, you know? Um, and I think a lot of the disappointments are sort of trying to make a connection and not being able to and, and feeling discarded a lot and feeling like, okay, what am I am just a sexual object to you. And with my ex, it was sort of like he was there for the novelty of it. And he was there for the, oh, look at us, we're a great couple sort of moment. And, or at least I don't think from his end, he felt exactly the same way I felt about him. And I think I just knew that. I, I think that's kind of what killed us. It's because I just kind of was like, you know what, you're not in this. And I don't know what made me know it, I just kind of, it was a feeling that I got. I think there's a shift that, that you can feel, 
it's almost palpable, you know? It's it's like there's a, there's always a turning point, and it's almost like you begin to respond to each other differently. You begin to communicate differently. You sleep in bed together differently, and it's just everything just sort of shifts. That idea of, like, editing yourself because you're scared of what they'll, how they'll react or it's going to cause a fight or walking on eggshells, it's... It's no bueno. It tends to make you feel like you're running on a hamster wheel because it's like, okay, here's another one. Yay, got my rocks off. Okay, yeah, he was hot. Whatever. I'll never see him again. You know, and it, you just become sort of jaded and bitter about it. And I don't like that. I don't, I don't ever want to be jaded and bitter. Because um, I do believe in, in love and sex and sex positivity and I believe that you should be able to have sex with whomever you want and as many people as you want it doesn't matter but for me personally I do want sex to lead to something more I, I do want intimacy and a connection and the challenge that you end up facing is being able to trust people and, and, and see if being able to figure out if people are genuine or not and it's a really hard thing to open yourself up when you feel like you've just sort of been tossed aside so much that you're just like, I don't want to, I don't even want to put myself out there for that anymore. And I sort of separated sex and love and respect. And it was more like, okay, I'm having sex with this guy, but I wouldn't actually hang out with him or talk to him, you know? Um, and it's a fucked up thing, because it's just like, it's separating the two, you should be able to have respect for people you're sleeping with, and, and not have to compartmentalize sex and respect and love. The guy I started dating, um, we've been together for a couple months now, but it's just been really like a quick connection and very, very intense in a way, it's very different than anything I've ever experienced because there's usually a period of like, oh yeah, we're floating along and then it's like, okay, we're, we're together and then it's like, okay, that fizzled out, goodbye. Um, but this one seems like it's just gaining intensity and it's, it's a really kind of refreshing, invigorating feeling because it's like, wow, maybe I can find a connection with someone. But at the same time, you're trying not to get your hopes up and not to... But the sex is fucking amazing. And it's like, okay, this is kind of maybe the best sex I've ever had. At least with anyone I was dating. <laughs> you know, like, there's really a connection there, and it's really hot, and it's really romantic, which is really cheesy. But then, then I'm like, oh god, I'm one of those people now? Fuck, I didn't... God damn it. You know? But then that just sends me back to that whole thing of like the bitterness and being jaded and the idea that you can't find a connection, so why would you bother, you know? So I'm trying to change my mode of thinking into, yes, romance is okay. And, you know, sex can be romantic, and it doesn't just have to be, like, fucking up against a dumpster behind an office depot or something, you know? Like... I find it harder to hook up now, even though there's more ways to hook up as far as all the apps and, you know, like, you got your Adam for Adam, you got your Scruff, you got your Grinder, got your this and that. Um, I think it's harder to actually make a connection. When I first came out, you know, you would meet someone 
either in a club or a bathroom <laughs> or a food court or a library or whatever, you know? But you would meet someone and you would end up hooking up and you may or may not see each other again and it may be like a thing where you end up in a relationship together. But the idea of actually meeting someone in person face-to-face -face, and having to have an exchange with someone that wasn't just typing words and, and talking about what you like to do online and then never actually following through with meeting up. I think now it's it's just it's more of a constant chase. I think it's also become even more almost like a drug for people. Before it's like you could get your fix and get on with your life. Now it's like you're always chasing the fix and it takes a hundred tries to actually land a meeting with someone, you know? I think it's also maybe a little more dangerous now because you never know what's on the other end. You know, what, what you see online, but you never actually know what you're walking into. And, and when you meet someone in person, sure, they could be a dangerous person and you could have Jeffrey Dahmer on your hands, but at least you can get a sense of their energy and, and sort of what, who they are based on their physical presence and, and sort of what sort of whatever they put off. Yeah, hooking up is, I hate it now. <laughs> it's just become, it's lame. I mean, it's, it seems like everything's so planned. Like you have to schedule an appointment and you used to just be able to meet somebody, go hook up on your lunch break and then go, you know, or meet somebody in a bar, have drinks, talk all night, go home together, and maybe never see each other, or maybe be in a relationship, or maybe whatever, you know? And it just seems more difficult now. <laughs> Don't feel ashamed about your sexuality explore but make sure that you're doing everything that you do for healthy reasons and not as just a means of escape but as a means of enjoyment well that's it for this episode of fruitful our next episode will be a fun season two wrap-up with a special guest we'll return in the fall with more episodes and video content a big thanks to Jem W for becoming our latest patron. Learn more about how you can help support our production efforts by visiting patreon.com slash fruitbowlpodcast. You can visit fruitbowlpodcast.com for links to all of our social media, an episode archive, sponsorship opportunities, and information on interviews, including a full list of the questions that I ask each interviewee. Please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to Tickle.life and NYC Inferno Party on Instagram for promotional assistance. Check out our podcast partners, Matt Baum's The Sewers of Paris, Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley, Glenn and Drew's Gayest Episode Ever, and David Alonzo's Linoleum Knife. Fruit Bowl is a production of Cubed Media, LLC. All rights reserved. Stay safe, be strong, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.